So Walter Mitty's, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. How many of you have read that book or seen the movie? All right, a few of you. Um, it wasn't a real huge hit, I guess, at the box office. Um, I actually saw it in my living room. Uh, <laughs> uh, interesting story about a guy whose life really was um, adding up to not much of anything. And uh, so he has this challenge where he's going to head out on this adventure. And as he's seeking to accomplish this task of finding the, the last cover photo for Life magazine, he, in that process, finds out, at least according to the movie, what the purpose or meaning of life is. And it's, it's summed up in this. I don't know if you saw it in the uh, movie, but throughout the movie, this quote is superimposed in the back somewhere uh, throughout the movie. And if you're a poet, uh, like to write poems, you're probably reading this going, oh, that's wonderful. I'm not, so this is hard for me to read, but it says, to see the world, things dangerous to come to, to see behind walls, draw closer, to find each other, and to feel. That is the purpose of life. This movie is all about developing that understanding of what they believe the purpose of life is. And, and movies are great this way because they can take a quote like this and, and they can script all the conversations and, and all the um, surrounding things that go on in a movie. They put some cool music to it. I love the music in this uh, movie. And, and, and all that together is, allows them to take this quote, this philosophy of life, and motivate people to pursue that in their lives. So people leave the movie theater, and they've been touched by this movie, and so they're going to go out, and they're going to do whatever they can do to fulfill that. Because the purpose of life is to find each other and to feel. It's about going out and experiencing everything that life can give you. And so they, they go after one thing, after another, after another, after another. We've seen these people, right? It's, it's the people who put on those flying suits and they jump off a mountain and go 120 miles an hour as they're flying down to the earth. Thrill seekers. Feeling something, adrenaline rush, something to, to give them the oomph, the desire, the excitement in life that they don't necessarily feel in their everyday life. I know a lot of you guys, and I don't think any of you guys have ever jumped off a mountain in a flying suit. Anybody around here do that? I did, and I felt like a rock. There's no flight at it. Um, it's like me swimming, you know, I go right to the bottom. You'd think I would be buoyant, <laughs> but I'm not. But there's another person, and what they do is they do find something that gives them a little bit of um, 
excitement or a little bit of uh, a sense of purpose or of accomplishment or maybe even something that causes them to maybe not think about life for a while. And this is probably more of where we're at. And this person, they, they try the thing, and it can be a number of different things. And so they try it, and wow, it works. But then they realize if I want to do that, it doesn't quite give me the, that same feeling again. And so what they do is they, they pour themselves into doing it even more and more. And some people call these addictions. And so we pour ourselves into whatever it is we feel is giving us a sense of purpose or meaning in our lives, and we, we basically we're just gorging ourselves with it. And we think, man, if I just get a little bit more of this thing that actually gives me nothing, I'll get something out of it. But the more we put into it, the more we realize this isn't working. But we pursue and pursue and pursue, getting nothing in return. So the question is, I would say that's wrong. At least from my experience, from what I've seen in life, and not just my personal experience, but my experience with dealing with people who come into my office hurting, broken, and then you start finding out what they're doing in their lives in order to relieve that. And yeah, it is, it's not going to work. So how do we find meaning? How do we find purpose in our lives? Jesus says in, in John 10.10 10, that he, he said, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Now the word abundant means uh, satisfying, but like it, 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 the Greek word actually has this idea of super abundant, super satisfying. Exactly what we need, Jesus came to give us. It's the same word, actually, the base word that Paul uses with this verse that we've kind of been pivoting our entire series off of. When Paul says that, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, Paul uses the same base word, but it's like he's saying it's, it's super, super, super abundant. It's like incredibly satisfying, far more satisfying than we would ever think or even ask for it to be. It's what we've been talking about in this series. In the life that God has for us, the life that He's promised us, it is possible. But we have to get this through our minds. It's completely opposite of what we think it should be and what the world is telling us it should be. And the, the sooner we get that in our heads, the sooner we're going to experience the satisfying, purposeful life that God's offering to us. And if you want this life, if you want this purposeful, satisfying life, there's some things that you need to do, at least according to what God's given us in the Bible. And the first one is this, and we've talked about it in chapters 1 through 3. You have to be willing to accept God's offer of salvation. You have to be willing to admit that you're a sinner. And those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we've all admitted that. No one's in this room saying we're perfect. 
None of us earned the salvation that God has given us. We've all come at him and said, Lord, we can't do anything. We're at your mercy. And his mercy is rich, we found out in Ephesians chapter 2. And so we come to him and we say, Lord, forgive me my sin. And I'm trusting that when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sin. He died my eternal death in hell on my behalf. And at that moment, when we make that, have that conversation, what happens is God forgives us of our sins. He declares us not guilty. He places his Holy Spirit in our lives, and he adopts us into his family. And that's the initial step that has to take place if you want to experience this life that God's offering. Then once that happens, some other things must take place, and that's what Ephesians 4 through 6 is talking about. You need to connect to God's mission. In other words, you need to start uh, viewing life that you are on a mission now, not to accomplish your desires, but to accomplish God's desires. And his ultimate desire is that through your life and through your words, you share this gospel that you've received. And then we connect with God's Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, he's the one in us that's going to empower us and help us to respond to people the way they need to be responded to, not the way we want to respond to them. We want to slap people in the head, right? But God's Holy Spirit is like, no, we're going to be gentle with them. We're going to be kind to them. We're going to help them. We want to encourage them. And then we connect with God's family, the church. This, what we have. And as we connect to the church, we help the church become healthy, spiritually healthy, effective in accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. And in doing that, then we become spiritually mature. We become healthy. But if we're not connecting here, we're not going to be. And so again, it's looking at others before we look to ourselves in our lives. What we looked at last week was that we need to commit to read it, stop it, and do it. It kind of made it real simple. And what that was talking about is we read it. We read the Bible. But it's more than just reading it like a newspaper. We spend time in it, and we have a conversation with God. He speaks to us as we read. Then we talk to him about what we're reading. And actually, I gave you guys a, a real good, um, simple uh, demonstration of what that looks like. In fact, it's what I do uh, every single day. I start my day off this way. And then it's uh, through that process, the Bible says that God renews our mind. He, he changes the way we think. He, he renovates, remodels. He takes out the old junk and replaces it with the good stuff. Tears out the old two-by-fours and, and drywall and all the stuff that's moldy and gross, and he puts in all the new stuff, all the good stuff. And that motivates us to want to stop doing life the way we were doing it and motivates us to start doing life the way God wants us to do. And then today, it's this incredible uh, command from God, and that is to imitate him. God is saying to us, as he commands us, he's also saying this is possible, that you and I could imitate God. Anybody find that unbelievable? Oh, I did. Um, the rest of you guys didn't. We're having some lighting issues here. Is that what I'm seeing? Okay. God's trying to get your attention, people. He's changing up the lights. We can imitate God. I thought, I thought Kim was the one in our family who had that interaction with God that we could do certain things. 
Um, yeah, watch it. Um, no, we can imitate God. He's not saying we can be God, but we can imitate God. And I don't know about you, I remember when I was in high school and I read that for the first time. We were sitting in Bible study in my high, when I was a high school kid, and our youth pastor read that, and it, it struck me then, and it strikes me every time I read it, that we can imitate God. It's just, to me, it's unbelievable. So if you want to have this life that's purposeful, that's satisfying, it's beyond what we could ask or think. We need to do three things. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're not there already, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. It's page 1172 if you're using the Bibles there in the seats. Um, there's three things that we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 5, the first 21 verses. I can't get into a whole lot of detail. I'm going to try to grab out and dig out as, as much as we can in the time that we have. But there's three things that we're going to see. First is that we need to show Christ's love. It's kind of interesting. This has the, the Trinity involved. So we need to show Christ's love. We need to shine God's light, which sounds kind of churchy, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like Christianese. I apologize. I try not to become churchies, you know, Christianese. Uh, but I couldn't come up with another way of putting it. So we're going to shine God's light. We'll talk about what that is. And then we're going to apply the Spirit's wisdom. So those three things we're going to be looking at today. So let's, uh, let's look at 5, 1 through 6 and see what, what he says. Each of these paragraphs start with therefore. So therefore, be imitators of God. So there's a command. Follower of Christ, Christian, person who has placed their faith in Christ, this is God commanding you to be like him. Okay? So be imitators of God as beloved children, like any child would look like their parents, we're going to look like God. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It smells sweet to God's nostrils. Here, picture God with nostrils. He actually doesn't because he's spirit. But anyways, but immorality, so now he's doing a contrast here, Christians, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, that's a key word there, we're going to discuss that, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words or a movie that puts things out there for us that look so cool and so must be true, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says, therefore, because of what we just got done talking about in chapter 4, specifically the whole read it you know, and, and stop it and do it, and the fact that we're supposed to be kind-hearted and loving at the end of chapter 4, I want you to be imitators of God. So what's God's point? What's he saying to us in these Verses. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, clarifying terms. My bad. Where do you go, Renee? Keep me on track, would you? Let's just get some clarifying terms, and then we'll give God's, God's point. First of all, imitator. We get our word mimic from that, okay? And so it's one who acts like someone else. So God's saying, act like me. All right, makes sense? 
love, that's an agape love, the, the love that means sacrificing ourselves for someone else. Jesus is our example, so sacrificing our desires for the good of others, putting aside what we think we need in order to help somebody else, feeling some uh, personal pain, neglect, not getting what we want so that somebody else gets what they need. That's what that's talking about there. Immorality, it's any sexual activity outside of marriage. What we think, what we view, what we do. Anything outside of marriage that we're involved in. Fantasizing, viewing stuff. We get our word pornography from this word, pornea. Uh, and then what we do, actively involved in doing and in being involved sexually outside of marriage. It's impurity. He talks about impurity. Any impurity, so he's broadening this out now. And it basically means meeting the desires, meeting our desires, and maybe even our needs outside of God's plans. Okay, so basically it's anytime we do life our way, not his way, that's impurity. Um, it's sin. Okay? And in greed, it's uninhibited. I stole that from somebody else because I couldn't come up with that word. Uninhibited desire. To, to meet our needs. It's, it's going after everything we possibly can go after in order to meet my need, what I want, what I think I need. And it's, it's greed. We, I mean, we get what greed is, right? It's just total focus on self, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do to make it happen. Filthiness is just general obscenity, degrading talk, negative um, things that tear down people, not the things that lift people up and encourage people. Um, I mean, you could throw a lot of different words in there. Um, you know, people talk about cussing and swearing. Um, when I was raised in my home, there was words that evidently my parents thought were cussing and swearing that we didn't. <laughs> Found that out. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and that level is kind of all over the place for different people, but the point is, is what you're saying uh, breathing life into a situation, or what you're saying, sucking life out of it. Maybe is another way of putting it. Degrading or discouraging. Silly talk. We get our word moron from this one. Um, so I know some people don't appreciate that word. It's probably a filthy word to some people, but um, you know the Bible uses it, so I'm using it. Um, moron. It's it's the talk of an intellectually deficient person. Okay, and then coarse jesting has the idea of turning topics into something that's subjective, something else, um, something suggestive, not subjective, suggestive. So the only example I could come up with is for, as soon as I read the definition, I thought, that's what she said. How many people, you know, I think of The Office, <laughs> the TV show The Office, which we stopped because they were using, you know, there's another word, double entendre, whatever. They have double meanings. People who like to throw in a little sexual ha-ha when you're trying to have a conversation about something that has nothing to do with it. Um, that, kind of, that kind of talk, that kind of thinking. So what's God's point in this? He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the positive. He really kind of spends a lot of time on the negative. But here's, here's his point. Imitating God means sacrificing self, not satisfying self. It's actually in the sacrificing of self, we are actually satisfied. 
which is completely opposite of what we would think. But that's, again, we're doing life God's way and not our way. And that's why our way is usually screwed up. He says in um, verse 3, these things that we just got done talking about should not even be named among Christians. So people shouldn't be able to point out Christians who are doing these things. That's a high measure, right? Wow. That other people, that's the measure, other people's perception of what we're doing. Now, some people don't like that. Some people don't, they don't have, they, there's no right to tell me how I should live. No, but God's telling you, you should be concerned about what they say about how you're living. So then we should be concerned about how we're living. Not fear. Not of this. Right? We're of heaven now. We're followers of Christ. We do life differently. We care about what people think. We should be people who are giving thanks. That's a thank-filled talk. It flows out of a humbled heart. People who are thankful people, if you get to know them, you'll find out that they're very humble. And they realize that, man, everything that I have is not mine. It's been given to me by God. That I, I, I don't deserve it. I deserve hell. But I get this. Whatever this is, I get it. Because hell is far worse. And so out of that, that um, reservoir of thankfulness or humility comes this desire to be thankful and to speak life into conversations. He talks about idolaters. And this is what a lot of, when people read this passage, this is where they focus in on, right? This is where Christians go, <gasps> did I lose my salvation? The key word here is idolaters. Because he says that people who practice these things, people who do these things, have no place in God's kingdom, God's family. In other words, they're not saved. So then Christians go, <gasps> what happened? <laughs> when did I lose my salvation? Right? Because all of us have done this, right? Am I, am I right? This week, I guarantee you that some of my conversation was probably not life-giving. There's a difference here. Because he talks about idolaters. Idolaters are people who give their lives over to this. They're, they're known by this. See, here's the deal. Christians, we talked about this last week, Christians, they're going to be reading God's Word. God's going to be teaching them and renewing their minds. Then they're going to bump up against something in their life that goes, whoa, wait a second, I used to do it this way, that's evidently the wrong way. Lord, forgive me for doing it this way. Forgive me for having filthy conversations. Please forgive me and help me to not do that anymore, but to have life-giving conversations. And so they get into a situation at work or at home, and a day or two, they're doing really well, and the third day, they realize, oh, did it again. Lord, forgive me for having that kind of conversation or forgive me for viewing that uh, thing, that person. Forgive me for fantasizing about what a, a perfect husband would look like or what a perfect wife would look like. Forgive me and help me to do life your way. And so they feel pretty good. Life's going good. They're not, and then all of a sudden they reach out, they bump up. That's, that's the process within a Christian's life. We read it, we repent of it, and then we do it God's way. But it's a lifelong process of finding out in our lives where we're not doing it God's way. 
And so that's good. That's positive. That's what God wants to have happen. But it's the person who goes, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go do this. I'm going to talk however I want to talk. Nobody can judge me. Nobody can tell me how to live. You can't say this, Pastor. You know, again, it's not me. I'm trying to read God's word right. Uh, don't shoot the messenger. You know, it, it's, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Whether they say they're a Christian or not, they're just going to do what they want to do. What they're showing is a heart that is, is one who worships something else, and it's really the worshiping themselves. And that person who is that way, God's saying, you can't be part of my family because my family doesn't act that way. My family doesn't stand up for its own rights because we self-sacrifice. We don't self-satisfy because in the self-sacrifice comes the abundant life that God wants to give us. And so the key word there is the idolater, the one who has given themselves over. They're known by it. When you see them, their life just shows what they're really worshiping. It's tough talk. You know, I, I mean, you read that, that's tough talk. That, I hope we're all sitting there going, okay, I've got to evaluate my heart here. and I've got to understand what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And then he says, don't be deceived. Don't, de- don't deceive yourself, and don't let other people deceive you. Don't sit here and go, you know, Harold, I, hear, I see what you're reading there, and I hear what you're saying, but, you know, really, really? And I'm just going to say, hey, you, you and God have that conversation. I know what God's Word's saying, and I, I'm going to try to apply it to my life. I can't make you do your life. But Paul is saying, God's telling us through Paul, don't deceive yourself. Don't tell yourself that this is not what God's saying. And don't let those who are living some other life tell you that. It's too important, you guys. And again, from a selfish standpoint, this is how we find satisfaction in life. This is how we find purpose in life. This is the abundant life that God calls us to, and it's worth it. It's so worth it. Paul goes on and talks about the next way we can imitate God, and that is to shine God's light. And again, I apologize for the Christianese here, but I couldn't come up with anything. I literally was going to the thesaurus trying to find stuff, and it wasn't happening. So this is what it says in 7 through 14. It says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. In other words, don't do these things that are happening in the verses previous. For you were formerly darkness. That's how you used to live. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You're a human spiritual light bulb. I'm shaped like one upside down, but that's besides the point. We're, maybe not. Just wipe that thought. See, that's probably silly talk, right? I should just confess that and call it good. So we're to walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, light so this is how we evaluate. Okay, am I, am I a child of the light? Am I showing God's light? Well, Consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. This is what we already talked about. But instead expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. We shouldn't even be talking about these things in that sense. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, this is so cool, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, 
and Christ will shine on you. So therefore, because we're no longer supposed to be living for self, but to be living and sacrificing for others, and doing life God's way, showing the love of Christ, we need to be children of light. So his, I'm going to kind of simplify it here. So God's point here is, imitating God means showing the best way to live. That's what this whole light and darkness thing is that Paul is talking about in these verses. So he talks about the light. Again, what is light? Light is showing goodness, righteousness, and truth. As we go through our lives, as we're at work, in neighborhoods, with our family, um, extended family, friends, whoever we're around, we are just, we're distributing goodness and righteousness and truth. That's what we're doing. He talks about trying to learn. It's probably better to uh, translate that prove or show. In other words, we're, we're proving to everybody, or we're showing everybody the best way to live life, that there's a different way of doing life. So your friends are all pursuing what we talked about at the beginning of this message. And their lives are really becoming destru- destroyed because of their pursuit. And then you walk into the picture, not with arrogance, not with um, thinking you're all that in a bag of jumbo chips, but you walk in with humility because you're, you're thankful for what God has given you. So you walk in with humility and you show them that you, this, is how, this is a better way of working, being an employer or being an employee. And, and this is a better way to do marriage. And this is a better way to be a parent. This is a better way to be a child. This is a better way to be a student. This is a better way to be a neighbor. And so we show a different way. We shine light into people's life who are in darkness, whose lives are being destroyed by the choices that they're making. And he talks about exposing sin. This is not us going around and going, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that. He's not talking about us going around telling other people, especially non-Christians, that what they're doing is wrong. A non-Christian who is disobeying Scripture is doing exactly what a non-Christian should be doing. They're not supposed to obey God because they're not a child of God. Now, we do judge other Christians in the sense of accountability, in the sense of deciding whether a person should be a spiritual leader in the church, and that kind of stuff. So we make judgment calls on people. But we do that for Christians but not non-Christians. So what does he mean that we expose? Just that. I mean, if, if we had turned all the lights off here and I walked in with a flashlight, I could expose each of you with the flashlight. And basically what he's saying there is this. As we walk into life being spiritual light bulbs lit by God, we're showing everybody that this way of doing life if we're doing life God's way, doing that way is a better way of doing it. It exposes to them that my way of doing life isn't working. This isn't satisfying. This is causing destruction. But so-and-so's life, they say they're a Christian and they're doing life differently. And man, their life looks like it's kind of together and they at least have a plan and they seem pretty happy all the time. And when they are bummed out, they, they keep talking about going to God with it. And so it's, it's exposing sin in that way. And then this awake sleeper, this is all about 
by the way we live our lives and the conversations that we have with people, we're going to cause people, some, not all, we're going to cause people who are spiritually dead to see and hear a new way of living and be drawn to Christ for salvation. So when Christ shines on them, just like if you guys were asleep in a dark room and I walked in with a, a million watt bulb, bah! you'd be up, right? You'd be awake. We've done it, you know, to people. Back when I wasn't doing things God's way, uh, we used to do those things. And so by doing that, we shine a light into their life, and, and hopefully they, they see who God is and turn to Him. The last one is this, is that we apply uh, the Spirit's wisdom. Apply the Spirit's wisdom. So let's jump, jump right into it. I'm going to try to move along here. Therefore, Paul keeps using that word, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even to Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So what's his point? His point is, imitating God means not wasting your life, but living wisely. It's not wasting your life, but you're going to live wisely. So let's, let's break this down, what he's talking about here. First of all, wisdom. Wisdom is a spirit-empowered ability to apply God's principles to our lives. Chapter 1, we talked about this, that God has given us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation is God's word, so as we're taking in God's word, we realize that we need to change how we live lives. That's our wisdom, or his wisdom, being applied to our lives. And in that, we can experience and know God through him working in our lives. Chapter 4, read it, stop it, do it. All right, I've kind of beat that horse a little bit, so I won't continue on with that, but it's a whole process of being renewed in our thinking, changing how we live. Second, he says, making the most, making the most of our lives. We use our events and activities in our lives to show God's, shine God's light. We're not to waste our time. We get it, we're all involved in things. We have a lot of things going on in our lives. We're a very distracted people. But we don't stop living life. We have to live life. We have to go to work. We have family events. We have all sorts of different things we go to. And I think what he's talking about here is we don't just fill our lives with events and activities to have events and activities, maybe to distract ourselves, to find something fun in life, not just for that purpose, but for the purpose of bringing God's light, bringing the love of Christ into those situations. That becomes our purpose for being at those events. In other words, we are intentional about developing relationships with people who are at those events, at those activities. Again, whatever your hobby is, whatever you invest your time in, whatever you use to try to distract yourself from what life is, you don't just do that now. You do that with the idea that who's ever involved in that, I'm going to be intentional about building relationships so I can show the love of Christ, so I can shine 
God's light in their life. Talks about understanding God's will. That's what we've been talking about this, this series. People who are wise, they understand God's will. They know what they're getting up every Monday to go to work for. There's no question. There's no concern. There's no fear. Because I'm going to go to work, do what God wants me to do. God's going to meet my needs. That's what God says. That's what the Bible says. And so there's, they understand that, and that's how they live life. I tell you, when you live that way, decisions are a lot easier to make. The worry goes out the window. When the money's not coming in, hey, God's got it. I don't, I don't need it until Friday. Well, Friday I'm going to have it. may not have it before, but I'm going to have it on Friday. Why? Because it's a need. God's, God said he's going to promise he's going to do it. makes life a lot easier. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, by the way, this is a passive thing. This is something that God, we allow the Holy Spirit to do in our lives as the idea of continually influence, being influenced by the Spirit. I gotta say, I guess gotta make. Sadly, I gotta have this conversation with with y'all on this. Whenever uh, a Christian reads these verses, their eyes immediately go to wine. Don't be drunk. Oh, good. Whew. So as long as I don't get drunk, I can drink. Okay, I 100% get it. The God's word that says doesn't say thou shalt not drink. I get that. Okay. But that's not Paul's point. Okay, Paul's not saying, "Hey, don't drink, um, because and you know, don't uh, drink, but just don't cross over this line of drunkenness." How do I know that? How do I f- think I know that? Because he doesn't define for us what drunkenness is, right? I mean, we know what some drunkenness is. Some guy stumbling over himself. Some. I used to watch Cops, the TV show Cops, and guys would get out of their car and they're in their shorts, and they're like, you've been drinking? No, I, <laughs> I haven't been drinking. You know, Obviously, the guy's drunk. But drunk, drunk, drunkenness just means not in control. And I've seen people take one sip. People who drink all the time take one sip of something or drink one can of beer, and they're different than they were prior to drinking that beer. So what's he talking about? Don't know. That's not the point. The point is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about you guys, but I have a really hard time. I don't drink alcohol. Uh, Never have. I've had one sip of beer when I was about six or seven years old, and uh, my mom showed up. (laughs) It's just so weird. No, I'm just kidding. Um, She's everywhere. She's like God that way. So, um, I think I had a little sip of wine in Trinidad. whole different story there. That was pretty funny. Anyways, point is, I have a hard time in and of myself to allow the Holy Spirit to control me. I'm always screwing up. My thinking is always off somewhere. I'm constantly apologizing and confessing to God, Lord, forgive me for that thought. Forgive me for thinking that way. Forgive me for feeling this way. Forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for fearing. For, you know, forgive me for being discouraged. Constantly, I have a hard time being filled with the Holy Spirit. So why in the world would I want to add alcohol to that? Is That's how I view this. This is how I read it. This is how I apply it to my life. Because what God wants is for me to be continually filled with His Holy Spirit. And if I can't do that, I better not add anything to my life that's going to keep me from doing that. You can argue with me on that. That's fine. I might give you a you know, no, I won't let you up here, but um, I, I, 
That's what Paul's telling you. This whole thing is about how do we show God to other people. He doesn't want anything distracting that. All right. Speaking in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, um, it could go this word, um, speaking to yourselves or ourselves, it could either mean to each other or it could mean to yourself. And, and I believe, personally, I believe it's to yourself because this whole thing is kind of about how we personally live this out. So here's how this plays out. I'm having a, a rough week. I'm discouraged. I can feel myself sliding down into some depression. Um, I can't seem to get out of the blue funk, as we call it. And um, something's got to change. My wife knows me. In fact, my kids have picked this up too. Frustrates me. I'll be sitting in my chair, and I'll be irritated. You can tell I'm irritated. And then all of a sudden, I hear a little Brian Duncan in the background. If you don't know Brian Duncan, I'm sorry for you. But Brian Duncan, back in the 70s and 80s, a Christian guy, he actually went into, he's still doing music. He's like 106, but um, still, oh, Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. His music, for whatever reason, Salvador is that way for me, and now Shane and Shane is that way for me. When I hear this biblical truth set to music in a style that I appreciate, when I hear that, but here's the key. When I start singing it, hearing it is one thing. But if I can get myself and ask the Holy Spirit, give me the strength to sing this, I don't know what it is, just how the Holy Spirit works. As soon as I start singing it, I just feel like things are lifting off my chest. Something about confessing what God's Word says. Not just thinking it, confessing it. Confess with our mouths, as Scripture talks about. Something about doing that. And I, that's what Paul's talking about here. You want to live in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? Then when you're struggling and you're, you're having a hard time being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're, tempting to, you're tempted to go to alcohol, or you're tempted, to, in my growing up days, go to the weight room, or you're tempted to go to a game system, or you're tempted to go do whatever it is that distracts you from how you're feeling. He's saying, no. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, Tell yourself, sing to yourself and what God's Word says. Music does something to us. And then go do those things. But get yourself right with God first before you get into that stuff. Be thankful. Again, we talked about what that is. We need to be thank-filled. We need to be coming from a humble place in our lives where we don't know, we don't know God knows, and so we're going to do it God's way. Cause us to be thankful. And it be subject to each other. It means to serve. Subject to each other. That means serving each other. Funny how it is, it goes back to how we're going to relate to other people. Why? Because if we want to experience self-satisfaction, we only experience it through self-sacrifice. Jesus said him dying on the cross was that he pursued the joy of doing that. It's crazy. It's not how the world thinks. And those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because your life was going into the tank. Some of you slowly, some of you very quickly, until God showed up. A Christian walked into your life. 
one who was doing life God's way, shared something about who God was, and then God started working that in your life, and you gave your life to Christ. Some of you guys did that years ago. Some of you guys have done that within the last few months. Some of you guys need to get your act together because you've become apathetic, because you've been doing it for so long, you just think it's part of who you are, in the sense that you're doing it, you're not, still God at work. Some of you guys who have just come to Christ need to slow down, just be patient, follow through, do the things that we keep talking and telling you to do, and God will begin to renew your mind, renew the way you think. He'll motivate you, and you'll want to do life his way. And then you'll spend the rest of your life finding out all the different ways where you need to correct and come back to God and correct and come back to God. May I have Caleb and the band come up and close. I just want to throw a couple takeaways at you, a couple three, go along with what we're talking about here. And that's this. First one is, for you to be evaluating, as we sing this last song, I just challenge you to, to evaluate, ask God to help you evaluate how you're doing in each of these areas. So for instance, am I, am I living a life, uh, a sac- self-sacrificing life or a self-satisfying life? Have that conversation with God. Lord, help me to know where in my life where I'm doing that. I may be doing well in this area, but help me to know, am I doing well in this area? Secondly, am I showing others the best way to live life? Are you, are you doing life God's way at work? Are you doing, God, doing life God's way in your marriage? You, you especially, you know, who have unsaved spouses, unsaved children, unsaved parents, are you showing them the best way? And then thirdly, am I wasting my life or am I living wisely? Am I pursuing other stuff thinking that that's going to satisfy me? Or are you going to be wise and say, okay, no, no, I think that's going to satisfy me, but no, this is, God said this is going to, so I'm going to, that didn't, so I'm going to make sure that, try this and and experience God at work my life. As we sing this last song, you can go ahead and stand. Uh, As we sing this last song, if if you feel like, man, I need to go, go forward and have a time of prayer with the Lord, feel free to do that. These stairs have been somewhat cleaned. Um, and then if you, if you need to talk, I'm in the back, so feel free to come back there and chat with me. Um, but let's just kind of end our service committing ourselves to what God wants us to do in our lives. Caleb.